Hey there and welcome to Soul Church. Our prayer is that this message encourages you wherever you may be in life. You know, we've been hearing so many stories about what God is doing in people's lives and we'd love to hear yours. So take a second and send your story to stories at soulchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us today and we hope that you enjoy the message. God bless. I really believe we're in revival spirit, revival time, and uh, we're just so honored to have Robert Ferguson with us all the way from Hillsong, Sydney, Australia. He's been on staff for 30 years, uh, 30 years ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. Was my teacher at Bible school, used to tell me off for yawning in class. I won't be yawning this morning, that's for sure. Would you put your hands together? Come on, let's give Robert Ferguson a big welcome. Thank you, thank you. Hello, wonderful people. So good to be here. Um, haven't these guys done an outstanding job this morning? So, can we, can we thank them and all the volunteers? that make Sunday morning so special. We turn up, but behind the scenes, people have been praying, they've been working, they're serving, and as a visitor, I immediately feel welcomed and blessed to be in the house of God. So give everybody a clap who's helped out. So thanks, team. Appreciate you. You can all sit down. Well, I feel immensely honored and privileged to be here today in Seoul. This is the first time I've preached in Seoul. And the first time I've actually preached in Norwich. So can I thank John and Chantel for inviting me and allowing me to be here this morning. And can I thank you for coming at 11 o'clock when the lionesses are playing. That is some commitment. Please don't be tempted to check your phone during the message. Um, I'm from Australia, but originally from England. So now that Australia is out of the World Cup, I'm supporting the English, you'd be glad to know. I'm English by birth, but Australian by choice. But here we are, back in England, and uh, looking forward to being with you today. I had a message prepared and I was fully expecting to talk about it. I feel God was saying something to this community. Remove the limitations. God can do and will do immeasurably more than you ask or think. And if you put any sort of limitation on what God wants to do in your life or is doing and can do, in this community, my message was very simple, remove the limitations. God is about to do something that is beyond our imagination. Having said that, I talked to John and Chantel last night and he said that he's got revival in his spirit, tour of England, preaching on revival. And so he said, maybe you should preach on revival. So if I stuff this up, it's his fault. <laughs> I had to think again and rewrite a message this morning. So, but I'm believing that John is actually right. Shocking, but true. 
And I'm going to do my best to bring what I believe is the word of the Lord to you. And I also have the privilege not just talking to you, wonderful people, but everyone who's listening online and in podcasts or wherever you're listening to me, I believe that God is going to speak to you in your situation and your circumstances. So with that in mind, let's pray. Pray for me because to be honest, I'm quite tired after preaching every night a different message in different cities around England. And I don't want my tiredness to get in the way. And also pray for you because you always need strength to listen and an open heart. So I'm going to pray that each one of us walks away from this auditorium different. Why? Because God, in His mystery and grace, has chosen, among other ways, to speak through broken and flawed people like me. God wants to say something to you this morning. God knows your story, knows your narrative, knows your pain, knows your dreams, knows your aspirations, knows your difficulties, and wants to say something to you. Somewhere in this message, there is an idea, a principle, a word that will grab your attention and change your heart. Whenever you hear someone come, whether you know them or not, listen as if God himself is speaking. In the green room before the service, one of the teams shared 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, said, when you speak, if speaking is your gift, when you speak, speak as though speaking the very words of God. Well, that has been my mantra for the last 50 years of preaching the gospel, and I intend to speak the word of God to you. Listen with open ears, open heart, and you're going to walk away from here changed in the name of Jesus. Who's got faith for that? Wonderful. Well, let's pray to that end. Father God, thank you that not one person here is here by simple choice or by accident. We are here by appointment. You drew me here. It wasn't in my schedule, wasn't in my plans, but it was in yours. You drew every person into this auditorium and every person listening online. You drew us here to listen to this message because you wanted to say something to us. And Father, we open our ears and our heart and our minds to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. In 1983, I was in full-time evangelism in Alsager, in the north of England, or the Midlands. I'd never been to the house before, but just a few of us gathered to pray. During the prayer meeting, I had a vision. I saw a pool of water very clearly a clear pool of water, and little by little, rain started coming onto that pool, first in drops, then in a great torrent. And I was wondering what it meant until my mind was drawn away from the pool, and I saw that it was in the shape of England. And I felt in my spirit that God was going to pour out His Spirit on this land, and He's going to start in small drops, and it was going to turn into a great torrent of rain that would bring the refreshing life of God to this nation. As soon as I saw this vision, 
I had a conviction that God wanted to bring revival to this land. And that conviction, since 1983, 40 years has remained completely and utterly unwavering. One of the reasons I'm here this week is to believe that maybe this week is going to produce some of those drops that are going to produce something powerful, not just in Norwich, not just in Norfolk, but in this entire land. I opened my eyes thinking about this vision and I saw a plaque on the table next to me. I'd never been in the house before. I'd never seen the plaque. It had a scripture on it. I didn't know what the scripture was. So I turned to my Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12. It says this, the Lord will open the windows of heaven, the storehouse of his bounty and pour rain on your land in season. So now what I'd seen was confirmed by the word. And as I'm pondering this, a friend of mine from the other side of the room who hadn't seen the vision or read the text started prophesying. And he said, the Lord will open the windows of heaven, the storehouse for his bounty and send rain on your land in season and quoted exactly the text that I still had open on my lap and then described in detail what I'd just seen in the vision. God is gonna pour out water on your land and it's gonna start with small drops and end with a mighty torrent. Ever since that moment, confirmed by the mouth of three witnesses, I've gone on a pursuit of revival. I've read as many books on revival as I possibly can. I've traveled around the world learning as many of the ingredients of revival as I could. I've been to the Hebrides where God poured out His Spirit in 1949. I've been to Wales where God poured out His Spirit in the great Welsh revival in 1904 through uh, Evans. I've been to New York where God poured out His Spirit between 1857 and 1859 and 50,000 people were saved. I've been in Mount Cop where God started the primitive Methodists. I've been to LA and stood under the sign of Azusa Street, although there's no church there where God started the Pentecostal movement in 1906. I've been there to learn what are the ingredients of revival. And I've also been there quite strangely to pray a prayer. Every time I go to a place, I stand in the pulpit and I say this, God, if there's anything left in this piece of wood, give it to me now. I want the seeds of revival. I stood in John Wesley's pulpit. I stood in George Whitfield's pulpit. I've stood in Charles Spurgeon's pulpit. I've even, uh, I've even broken into a church in New York to stand in Ward Beach's pulpit where in 1857, he used to have prayer meetings of 3,000 people and God poured out his spirit. The church was locked, but I found a cleaning lady had left the door unlocked. So I said to my daughter-in-law who was with me, okay, this is what we're gonna do. When she moves, we're gonna run past her. We're gonna run down the front. I'm gonna stand in the pulpit and uh, I'm gonna pray my prayer. You take a picture, then we're gonna run out before the cleaners stop us. Even last week, I was in a church. I said to Amanda, oh, I've got to, got to stand in the pulpit again. I'm a bit strange like that, but I think that kind of passion, that kind of passion is what we need if we're going to see revival in our own lives, in our church, and in 
the world. So, in all of that study, in all of that discovery, I have discovered there are two primary ingredients for revival. And if you want a title to this message, that's it. The two ingredients of revival. And I'm going to talk from a strange book in the Bible, the book of Amos. Now, Amos is not the sort of encouraging, grace-filled book that you would normally speak on revival from. To be honest, it's a terrifying book. If you want to be scared out of your brain, read Amos. Verse 2 of chapter 1 says, The Lord roars like a lion. It's about his wrath. It's about his judgment. And it includes such godly verses as to prepare to meet your God. The sort of, sort of thing that strange people stand on the side of the world, side of the road and remind us that God is coming. That's the book of Amos. Let me give you a bit of context. Around about 750 years before Jesus, the people of God, Israel, have been divided into two nations, the northern kingdom of Israel with its capital in Samaria and the southern kingdom of Judah with its capital in Jerusalem. Amos, who is a, one of the shepherds from Tekoa, a small place in Israel where I was in, uh, visited in 2019, Amos is specifically speaking to the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel was doing all right in terms of prosperity, but it had one major flaw. It was idolatrous. It had turned away from God and started worshiping idols. And it set up shrines all over the place and those shrines became central to their thinking and to their worship and had taken the place of their worship of the true and living God. So Amos comes along and he says, God is going to judge you and he's going to judge you by causing the northern kingdom of Assyria to defeat you and you are going to be taken into exile. And that's exactly what happened a few years later. You can imagine Amos was not popular. What a strange book to talk about revival, a book of lions roaring and wrath and judgment and preparing to meet your God. But I want to use a couple of verses from this book to highlight what I believe are the two major ingredients of revival, two ingredients that you and I must emulate 2,750 years Later, The first is found in Amos chapter 5 and verse 4. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not go seek Bethel. That was one of the shrines. Don't go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. These were places where God had moved in the past. Places like Azusa Street, Wales, Mount Cop, New York. Places where God had turned up and worked through ordinary and average people and appeared suddenly. And here's God saying to Amos 
and through him to the people of Israel, don't make shrines out of these places. For Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them and Bethel will have no one to quench it. I'm not going to read on because it gets worse. (laughs) You may think that's a strange scripture, but the reality is one of the ingredients of revival is repentance. Repentance. Specifically, repentance from idolatry. Now you may say in Norwich, in Norfolk, no one here is an idolater. We don't worship at shrines. Well, I've got some good news for you. Every single person here is an idolater. Anybody who puts anything in front of your devotion to Jesus is worshiping something other than Jesus. It's an idol. Your family can become an idol. Your sport can become an idol. Your pastimes, your community, your church, your city. But the word... Stephen McAlpine has just written a book called Being the Bad Guy. Good guys, because they did so much good in the world. Now the church worldwide is be liked. So the book is how to be the best bad guys that you can be in this current generation. He says, they want our values, but not our worship. But the throne, he says, has not been vacated. It has been replaced. Who's on the throne? You're on the throne. I'm on the throne. The individual is on the throne. We are all idolaters. This message is for us. He says, don't worship at those shrines. Seek me and live. When my wife and I, we've been married 47 years. In fact, our anniversary is this week. The only slight downside to that was that my wife is in Australia. So I celebrated it with my brother, which wasn't quite as romantic. When we first got married, she made one thing absolutely clear. She says, I love Jesus and I'm called into full-time ministry. She said, you need the most important person in my life. You come a very, very poor second. (laughs) In fact, what she told me, she only told me 15 years later when we were going out, she said to God, I'm going out with this man I like him, but I'm called into full-time ministry to serve you. If you do not call him by the end of this week, I'm dumping it. (laughs) Six days later, thankfully, God called me into the ministry. I went and told her. She just smiled. And then 15 years later said that you were one day away from losing that opportunity. (laughs) She has never changed her mind. I am still a very, very poor second. Now that we've got seven grandchildren, I think I'm probably about number 10 (laughs) on the list. But that was our decision. Put God first. If you want revival in your life, if you want revival in this city, in this church, in this nation, 
it starts with repentance. A change of heart, a change of mind. All right, well, let's be a little more positive now. Now that I've called you idolaters. Let's turn to the end of the book of Amos and talk about another significant ingredient in revival. This one is restoration. Last chapter, Amos chapter 9 and verse 11. Are you still with me? In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls. I will restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do all these things. He's saying to Israel, yes, you're sinners. Yes, you're going to be judged. Yes, you're going to be defeated. Yes, you're going to be taken into exile. But I'm going to restore you. After 70 years of captivity, as Jeremiah said, you're going to be brought back home. I will restore you. I promise. Why? Because he's a restorer. He's a restorer of buildings. He's a restorer of lives. He's a restorer of streets. And believe you me, Norwich needs restoration. Walking from the restaurant last night to where I'm staying, it was filled with broken, damaged, homeless, drunk people, people who need Jesus, people who need restoration. But it's not just on the streets of Norwich where restoration is desperately needed. It's right here in this room. God is a restorer of souls. Psalm 23, he's going to restore my soul. David in Psalm 51 said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. If you've lost your joy, you need revival. Why? Because in 1 John chapter 1, the first four verses, the system is this. You hear the message, you get into fellowship with God and humanity, and the outcome is joy. The journey of backsliding is first you lose your joy, then you lose your fellowship and leave the church, and then you stop believing the message. Joy is the litmus test of your Christianity. Joy is the warning light on your dashboard. If you've come to church and you've lost some measure of joy, God is here to restore the joy of your salvation. And as he said in the book of Joel, he said, God is going to restore to you the years that the enemy has taken from you. Some of you have had your years robbed. The enemy, through tragedy in your past, through loss in your past, through abuse in your past, through difficulty in your past, have had years of your childhood, years of your adulthood removed and lost. Some through what others have done to us, some through difficult circumstances, some through our own folly and stupidity. But I've got good news for you. God is here to restore your soul, your joy, the years that the locust has eaten. That's what He wants. Those are two of the key ingredients of revival, repentance and restoration. If you go through the prophets, these are the two words that are constantly there. And they're also repeated in Acts chapter 3 when God is talking about times of refreshing. Acts 3, 19 to 20. Here it is again. Repent, 
repent so that times of refreshing will come. This phrase, times of refreshing, describes, according to the writers of revival, perhaps the best definition of revival in the Bible. God wants to revive the people of God. Can I just say, the people I've just described on the street between the restaurant and the hotel, who are homeless and broken and without Christ, they don't need revival. What they need is a resurrection. The Bible says that when we're without Christ, we're dead in our sins. They need a resurrection. They need a, an infilling of life. Revival is for the house of God. It is a revival. We've got life, but we've lost our fire. We've lost our joy. We've lost our passion. We've lost our enthusiasm. We've lost our spirit of evangelism. We've lost all the things that we need as Christians and we should have. Revival, like judgment, starts in the house of God. So those two vital ingredients. You pray last week, you pray this week for revival. It starts with the repentance and ends in restoration. But those aren't the two ingredients that I'm talking about. I'm sure you could come up with a list as I have. Prayer, humility, passion, enthusiasm, repentance, restoration. They're all there in the text. But they're not the two that I want to talk about. The two that I want to talk about are perhaps even more significant. I want to go back to the text in Amos chapter 5 and verse 4. Just read it again, and I want to draw some conclusions. Ephesians, Amos sorry, 5, 4, seek me and live. Don't seek Bethel. Don't go to Gilgal. Don't journey to Beersheba. Why not? These were places in the Old Testament where God had mysteriously and magnificently and suddenly turned up in unexpected ways and transformed lives. In Bethel, God appeared in Bethel to Jacob. Jacob was running from God. Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob needed an encounter as we all do. And in Bethel, God opened the heavens and he saw a ladder and angels ascending and descending on a ladder from heaven to, to him. And he said, surely this is God's house. This is Bethel, the house of God. This is a holy place. And then, of course, it goes on to Gilgal, where it talks about where God appeared to Joshua as a commander of the Lord's army and said, whose side are you on? Joshua said that to, to God. Whose side are you on? And God said, neither. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Shut up and listen to me. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> Isn't it strange how we tell God to, how to act? Because we're the center of our lives. So we tell God, please do this, please do that. And I'm not going to serve you because you didn't answer my prayer. He's God. Just bear that in mind. Anyway, that's what happened in Gilgal. And then, of course, Beersheba, that's where God appeared to Abraham. So three significant revivals, three significant people, three significant events. And God says, don't go there. Seek me. Seek me and live. So the first lesson we can learn from that is don't look for 
a place for revival. Now, I love going to places. I've said I've been to all of these places. I love coming to Norwich, but it's not about the place. It may be the best town in the world. It's not about the place. I've been to the Hebrides. The Celtic Christians used to call the Hebrides a thin place because there was no great distance between heaven and earth. I've been to the thin places in the world to try and connect with God. But God says, don't look to the uh, place. It's not about the place. Last night, John and Chantel took me to the new building. It's a great place. It's been prayed over for generations. God has poured the tears of the faithful into the ground on which the new building is being built. There's an old cross there that survived the fire. The building is fantastic. It's got a new pathway, new rooms, new opportunities. It's going to be a brilliant place. It ain't about the place. God can and will use that building. But if that becomes a shrine, God will withdraw. Seek me and live. It's about Jesus. It's not about the building. We can get so caught up with the place and say Norwich is a great place. Norfolk is a great place. Soul Church is a great place. This is a great place. It's not about the place. It's about Jesus. The second thing, don't look to the past. I've been telling you about looking to the past. I want to go to the past. That's in, in that um, sort of gift chart, the strength finders. My top strength is context. I look to the past to predict the future. I'm a historian. I love history. I love going to places. I love going to the past. But God says, don't. Go to the past. It's about the future, not the past. Yes, honor the past, but look to the future. In Joshua chapter 5 and verse 10 at Gilgal, it says they celebrated the Passover while camping at Gilgal on the, on the plain of Jericho. Look at what they're doing. They're honoring the past. We were slaves in Egypt. We were brought through a, a desert under the leadership of Moses. But now we've crossed the river. We've got a new leadership. We've got a new future. We've got a new paradigm. And now we're going to camp. Why are they camping? Because in that new place, God told them to circumcise themselves. That's not a very good idea. Big picture, it was a good idea. But if you've just been circumcised, if the entire nation, that's why you're camping at Gilgal. They're cutting off the past. He's removing their approach. That's what Gilgal means. They're still hurting. And they are now in a place of healing, getting ready. God is removing the past. They're repenting. He's removing their approach. But where are they celebrating this? Where, the Passover, where are they waiting? On the plains of Jericho. Just in the distance is their greatest victory. Just in the distance, lots of kings waiting to kill them. Just in the distance, a bit of sin in the camp. But God's going to remove the sin. He's going to remove the walls. He's going to defeat the kings. And he's going to bring the promises to fulfillment. He's going to bring the covenant to fulfillment. Are you getting this, church? 
Don't go to Gilgal. Don't make a shrine out of it. It's what God did in the past. Honor the past. Take time to heal in the present, even in this room, but always look to the future. Why do you think God hid the body of Moses? Thank you very much. That's exactly right. Everyone here looks to the past. We look at old things and we worship the past. So he hid Moses so they wouldn't make a shrine out of him because every one of us does exactly that. We make a shrine of the past. Not only did he hide the body, but Satan wanted it. Jude verse 9 says that Satan contended with the archangel Michael for the body of Moses. Why did he contend for the body of Moses? Well, as a friend of mine explained, because Satan always wants to inhabit the carcass of the last move of God. Many of these places where God has moved in the past have just become shrines and the enemy has used them to deceive people and stop people seeking the Lord. He says, don't go to Bethel. Don't go to Gilgal. Seek me and live. Don't look to a place for revival. Don't look to the past for revival. And thirdly, don't look to a person or a practice for revival. In Genesis chapter 21, Abraham digs a well. He calls it Beersheba, the well of oath. He swears an oath. He plants a tamarisk tree. Many people when they're studying revivals look at these things, the little things that people did. Well, they, in Ashbury, they've been praying every night. In Azusa Street, they, the preacher put a box on his head every night. So let's just do that. That's not going to change anything just going to make you look a fool. You don't need to build an altar. You don't need to plant a tamarisk tree. You don't need to dig a well. You don't need to follow a person. You need to, don't need to follow practices. You need to seek God. It's going to be new. It's going to be different. It's going to be unlike anything that anybody has ever done before. When God turns up, He's a creative God. He's going to do things in your life in Norwich. And if you're listening online, where you are is going to be different and unique and significant and transformative. Many years ago, I was invited to be a pastor in Wakefield, and I went there to uh, be the pastor in Wakefield, and what they do is they invite you to preach to see whether they like you, and then they invite you. A bit stupid, really, but nonetheless. I went there with my best sermon, and as I went into the green room, the vestry, we were in a, a huddle with the deacons, and uh, I was looking down at the floor, and one of the deacons whispered in my ear, did you know, this is the very, you're standing on the very spot where Smith Wigglesworth died. <laughs> Smith Wigglesworth was one of the great apostles of faith, one of my heroes of the faith. He raised the dead, he healed the sick. He was an extraordinary man of God. And this deacon thought that that would impress me. I looked down at the carpet, clearly they hadn't changed it since he died. But instead of being encouraged, instead of being supportive, instead of being excited, instead of praying, God, give me something from this carpet, I was livid, angry. 
And I remember walking into the pulpit with, with almost like, who cares whether they invite me? Who cares whether they like me? I'm going to tell them a few truths. And I told the one who had just taken place in the vestry, and I said, Smith Wigglesworth is dead. Stop building a shrine around him. Stop looking to him to change your world. It's a new generation. It's a new era. Then I turned to my new text and preached a brand new message. Joshua chapter 1 verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now get up and take the land. Talk about angry. I was going two barrels. And I spoke to the young generation, people like Adi and Matt, and I said, stop looking to the past. You've got permission. You've got a green light. Get up and do something. Don't wait for something to happen. Be the leaders. And in, in Phil, <laughs> they were my students, I should remember, <laughs> but I don't. Oh, so, <laughs> so it's your turn. It's your turn now. Get up and do something. Don't sit there waiting for permission. When you drive down a motorway, you don't look for a, a, a green light. You've got one. You're looking for a red light. You're going to make loads of mistakes. You're going to look stupid. You're going to try things and you're going to fail. You're going to lay hands on the sick. Some will get healed, some won't. But for God's sake, do something. Get up and give it a try. And if God, if God wants to stop you, he'll stop you. He'll stop you through your leaders. He'll stop you through your friends and community. And uh, he'll do anything. He'll stop you. But don't ever wait for permission. He said, go into all the world. I didn't pray, should I come to Norwich? What a ridiculous prayer. It's in the world, last time I checked. <laughs> go into all the world and preach the gospel. I didn't check with God whether I should come here. I checked with John and Chantel. I checked with my bank account. I checked with my wife. We've made spirituality and guidance so weird. Just get on with it. Acts chapter 16, Paul goes to Bithynia. It says he decided to go to Bithynia. Why? Because it was full of Gentiles. When he headed to Bithynia, God stopped him twice and then said, don't go there, don't go there. Go this way. It was the only way left. Macedonia, Europe, changed the world. That's not in my text. I'm just encouraging you to get on with it. So don't go to... Seek me and live. Seek me and live. Seek. If you seek him, you'll find him. If you're thirsty, you'll be filled. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you're not full, you're not hungry. If you're not full of the Holy Spirit, you're not hungry enough. Because Jesus said, if you're thirsty, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. You've got to seek Him. Who are you seeking? Him. Me. Seek me. Seek the Lord and live. Tons of refreshing will come from the Lord. Seek the Lord. Don't seek the manifestations. Don't seek the miracles. Don't seek the blessings. Don't seek the people. Don't seek the past. Don't seek the place. Seek me and live. Seek me. 
Seek me and live. If you were in Gethsemane, you and I, you know what we would have done? Everybody's there, the disciples. Jesus is there. All the Roman soldiers appear. And they say, who are you? Are you the one we're looking for? And Jesus says, I am he. That's what it says in the English. I am he. I'm the person you're looking for. But it's not what it says in the Greek. In the Greek it says, I am. Here's this rabbi. Here's this carpenter from Nazareth proclaiming in two king of all kings, God enfleshed among them. Who are you look? Are you, are you the one we're looking for? I am. And everybody fell on the ground. Disciples, Roman soldiers, weapons everywhere. If we'd been there as observers, you know what? We would have gone back to tell people, oh, we've just been in a cool meeting. Everybody fell on the ground. Never seen anything like it. Isn't that what we do? We come away from church and say, somebody got healed. Somebody got blessed. Somebody got filled with the Spirit. Someone laughed. Someone fell over. It's not about the manifestations. We should turn our attention away from the people falling on our ground and just realize that maybe Jesus, who is standing among us, has just proclaimed himself king, and we should fall down and worship him. Seek me, not the manifestations. It's not about the results. It's about the king. Seek me and live. I said people out there don't need a revival. They need a resurrection. You and I need a revival. Someone described it as God leaning down and blowing on some dying embers that they come back to life. That's a revival. So, wait a minute, I've done a whole message and I've run out of time and I haven't told you what the two ingredients are. I'll tell you the first one. Jesus. Times of refreshing will come from the Lord. It's the Lord. He is present in every revival. Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's not about soul. It's not about Norwich. It's about Jesus. Seek me and live. So what's the second ingredient? Hosea is a big book, very important, impacted lots of people, but hardly mentioned in the New Testament. Except in Acts chapter 15. James, Acts chapter 15, verses 16 to 17. James stands up and quotes Amos, God is going to restore David's tent. Who's David's tent? You're David's tent. It's not the building. It's not the place. You are David's tent. Jesus is the true and better David. Jesus is the true and better temple. Jesus is the true and better sacrifice. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. And James stands up in the middle of the church and says, this is a fulfillment of the restoration of Amos. You and I are the people that God is rebuilding. So what's the second ingredient of revival 
you. Me. Us. That's it. Jesus and me. Jesus and you. Ordinary people. Amos was a shepherd, a common shepherd, one of the shepherds in Tekoa. We don't even know really where Tekoa is. He was an anonymous shepherd. God loves working with ordinary, broken, average people. He's working with one of the shepherds. He turns up in Peggy's house in the Hebrides. He turns up in Jeremiah Lamphere's house in New York. He turns up in Evans's house in Wales. He loves to use average people, ordinary people, people that you wouldn't use. And he likes to turn up in average, ordinary places like Norwich. Maybe this is some of the drops. The two ingredients of revival, Jesus and us. Or, more poetically, a God of flame and the dying embers, the dying ashes of a people of former fire. God wants to pour out his spirit. He wants to blow on you. Amen? Let's all stand. I said that people who don't know Jesus need a resurrection. There are people in this auditorium, you don't know Jesus. You may have been to church many times, but you've never had a personal, real encounter with Jesus. Jesus is real. He's alive. He loves you to bits. He wants to change you forever. He wants to come into your life, make himself known to you, forgive you, transform you, so you walk out of here, and it's like coming back to life. I gave my life to Jesus on 2 o'clock in the morning on the 14th of March, 1974. Never, never ever thought it's been a bad decision. It was the best decision I could ever have made. Never regretted it. There are people in this auditorium, you're going to give your life to Jesus right now. But I also want to include someone else in this prayer, people who haven't served Jesus faithfully. You've drifted, you've gone away. So people are coming to Jesus for the first time and people are coming back to Jesus for the first time in a long time. I would like everybody to close your eyes. I want you to be honest. I want you to be real. But today, you realize I need to come back to him. I need to come back to him because he's the king. I've done my own thing. I put myself on my own throne. I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, what I want you to do is be honest and real. If you want me to pray because you want Jesus in your life or you want to get back to Jesus, I want you, when I get to three, to put your hand in the air. Put it up and put it down, just so I can see who I'm praying for. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just need to know who you are. So, are you ready? One, two, three. Put your hand in the air. Once again, hands going up all over the auditorium. I love that. People desperate. People, people being real. All right, we're going to pray this prayer, especially if you put your hand in the air or know that you should. Everybody's going to pray it. Say with me, Oh Lord Jesus Christ. Today, I realize I need you. Please reveal yourself to me. I am sorry. I've done the wrong thing. 
I've sinned. Please forgive me. Turn my life around. Come into my life. From now on, you're my king. You're my God. You're my savior. With your help, I'm going to follow you. From this moment, everything changes. Amen. Give these people a clap. So good. If if you're listening online, I hope you prayed that prayer as well. Wherever you are, you can give your life to Jesus. And can I just say that in a minute, John's going to come up and talk to you about how we can help you, what the next step will be. This is a beautiful community that you can be part of. We want to help you, support you. And it's just the best decision. That's why we clapped. The best decision you could make. But just before I hand back to John, I know I've gone over a bit. Sorry about that. Sort of sorry. I want to pray for anybody who wants to be revived. If you're in this auditorium and you've, you've heard me speak and you think, I need revival. I really need revival. I want you just to put both hands in the air. And I'm going to pray for you. Father God, you see these wonderful people, individuals, you know where they've come from, you know where they're at. And Father, they want to be revived. They've got life, but they want more life. They want you to blow on the embers of a dying flame in their life. I pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit onto them right now in the name of Jesus. Pour out your spirit. Do what you've said. You've said in your word that if we ask the Father for the Holy Spirit, you will give him to us. You won't give us a scorpion. You won't give us a stone. You will give us the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I ask you now, give us what you promised. Give us the Holy Spirit. You've said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his being, out of his belly, shall flow rivers of living water. And I pray that that's what will happen. Blow, wind of the Holy Spirit, revive our hearts, revive this place. Do with us what you will. Revive us again. Now, right around this auditorium, as you've got your hands in the air, could you give thanks to God? Give thanks to God. Thank Him for salvation. Thank Him for freedom. If you know how to speak in tongues, speak in tongues. If you've never spoken in tongues, speak in tongues. Let this, just for a minute, just let the Holy Spirit flow through you, revive you. People are being healed in this moment. People are being refreshed in this moment. People are being touched in this moment. God is in this place. He's raising up a new generation. He's reviving the broken embers. He's raising us up to bring resurrection, life, and power to this community and this city in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. It's been, it's been a genuine honor to be with you. I believe God's touched hearts. I want you to go and tell people what God has done. And uh, I know it's a big day. Some of you are desperate to check your phones to see how the lionesses have done. But somehow, somewhere today, go and find a spot on your own and call on Jesus. Seek me and live. God bless you. God bless you.
Come on, why don't we honour the man of God, Robert Ferguson. Whether you're in the room watching online, I think we've had a real feast here today. I pray that you've been stirred up again for this revival. We had no idea that Robert was even in the, the country talking about revival. And when we were sharing at dinner last night, we were like, you just need to continue on. And I just want to honor him. You know, he's been in five cities this week preaching this message. Every night, a new message to different cities. And we just want to say thank you. Chantal and I want to say thank you for the impartation into our lives personally. We would not be doing what we're doing if it wasn't for Robert Ferguson. And uh, there's so many times Chantel will say, Robert Ferguson said in college 20 years ago, and it, it, it really is, you know, everywhere we go, we bump into people who've had their lives impacted from a prophetic word, a message, a moment. Been around Robert, I know he helped me, and I've spoken about it publicly after my dad had died and some of the things I experienced. And Robert and his wife Amanda took an hour or so and counseled me one day and helped me for a lot of pain. And I want you to know, Robert, on behalf of Chantal and I, we are deeply, deeply touched that you took time out of your schedule. And he has, who, who agrees, he has an open invitation. He has an open invitation to come back. Um, and I was about to say he's just released a book. He hasn't released it. He's written it, but it's not coming out till October the 6th. It's called Jesus And, and it's all about how God works through ordinary people. And that book will be released on October the 6th on Amazon. And so I encourage you, if you enjoyed the teaching today, you can pre-order that and uh, get, get hold of that. It's a, it's a book for people like you and I, just ordinary folk who just want to serve Jesus. And so I encourage you to get hold, get hold of that book. I'd, who would like this one? All right, you can pre-order it on Amazon because uh, he only brought one with me. And uh, Steve and I are currently in the middle of fighting over that. So what a privilege it is to be. And if you, if, you, if, you, if you said that prayer today, you lifted up your hand. Many hands went up. The resurrection prayer. We've got a gift for you. It's another book. It's the Gospel of Mark. And uh, I would love to give you that book. Our team are going to be out there in the foyers. Half of our church is a gift for you. And uh, we want you to take this and also let someone know. Just let a team member know in a t-shirt with a lanyard on. Say, hey, I made that decision to follow Christ today. It's the best decision you've ever made. It'll help your life go in the right direction. So I'll encourage you to take that step forward. Thanks again for tuning in. And if you said the salvation prayer today, we'd love for you to email connecttofaith at soulchurch.com so we can talk to you a little bit more about this incredible decision that you've just made. Yeah, you know, and if at any point in the service you felt moved to give towards any of our local or global initiatives, then head to soulchurch.com and click on the giving at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us today. And we hope to see you again soon. God bless.